Hello friends, welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello, my lovely listener. It's me, your Auntie Fiona. I am delighted to introduce you to a wonderful man who exudes a kind and gentle spirit. I love being in his presence. His name is Ross Murray. Ross is a vice president at the Glad Media Institute, providing media and spokesperson training for LGBTQ plus empowerment. And while I've primarily known Ross through Glad, as he's worked there for over 11 years, I've invited him onto the show because he's an expert in understanding the relationship between religion and LGBTQ plus people. He's a leader amongst a team of volunteers who run a fantastic organisation called The Naming Project, which is a faith-based camp for LGBTQ plus youth and their allies. Ross has a book, Made, Known, Loved, Developing LGBTQ Inclusive Youth Ministry, has contributed to other books, has written and appeared on numerous national media outlets such as CNN, MSNBC, Al Jazeera and the like. He's a producer for the Yes Jesus podcast. I hope I pronounced that properly. He's a member of the 2021 Out 100, was named one of Mashable's 10 LGBT rights activists to follow on Twitter. And he's an ordained deacon in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. (laughs) Phew. (laughs) Basically, Ross is a complete badass and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Hey, Ross, how are you doing? I'm good, Auntie Fiona. It's good to be with you. And that whole list of things just means I'm tired a lot. That's what that is. exhausting. I I can only imagine. It's like reading people's bios. It's like you've done so many great things and you like want to pull all the juicy nuggets. Like there was a whole ton of stuff that I could left out. I know. I know. I I shove everything in my bio and then I tell anyone like just edit it down to what you what's relevant for you because it's kind of it's kind of all over the place, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I know that feeling. Like typically I like I say, please don't look at my bio. (laughs) Let me just like introduce myself. And I was like, hi, I'm Fiona. But anyway, we are going to get right into that cheeky question. All right. So this is a chapter title in my book and I'm going to ask you the question and let's see what you have to say. So the question is, why can't I love the sinner but hate the sin? So here's my short answer is that for us humans, people, we don't know the difference between those two things. So here's my longer version of that answer. Our sexual orientation our gender identity, these are parts of who we are. They are not the entirety of our identity. They are they are an aspect, the same way that I would call myself tall or white or Minnesotan or educated and things like that, right? Descriptors. And we are these things without ever doing anything. And it is just part of what makes us the people that we are. And I think where this really ends up being harmful is with young people, who are learning and discovering more about who they are, all they hear is the implication that even being part of the LGBTQ community, regardless of anything else, ends up resulting in condemnation or end up resulting in exclusion, in harm. And so I don't think that we can ever fully separate out the person to use this like the sinner and the sin or different things. That's all a bit of who makes us who we are. And I've got a whole theology around sin and grace, and that's very Lutheran, but we can go to that. (laughs) I was going to ask you, why do some people think that it is a sin to be LGBTQ plus? So one of the things that happens, and this is is true with LGBTQ people, right? It's 
people in power get to make decisions and get to interpret scripture, get to decide what's normal or what's good, right? And if you're not, then you are punished in some way. And we have for centuries, and this is Christianity has absolutely been a part of this, right? We have reinforced things like patriarchy and white supremacy, and people that don't fall into that category fall somewhere lower on that hierarchy. And LGBTQ people are a part of that, right? Like for me, I'm a man, cisgender man, but you're not behaving the way that we say or believe or think that a white cisgender man should be behaving. And therefore, you'll get knocked down a few rungs. And we use that in terms of just current social isolation while trying to tell people what, you know, eternity is going to be like, which none of us know what eternity is going to be like. Oh, let's dive into our personal stories a little bit because I was raised Catholic and I used to call myself a recovering Catholic and now I consider myself a recovered Catholic. <laughs> but religion and church was very much a part of my upbringing. You know, my mum brought me to church practically every Sunday. My father was a doctor and he actually chose not to come as much because he didn't agree with the ban on contraception and abortion and so on and so forth. And it was very much part of his work. But I remember being raised to feel like I was bad in some ways. And I remember my first confession and I really struggled to think about what on earth am I going to confess? I was probably, what, only seven or eight years old and ended up telling the priest that I had eaten sweets or candies, y'all Americans say, at a school party when my mother had specifically told me not to. And I felt really bad that I disobeyed her. So I was kind of like raised to be ingrained to think that I constantly had to focus and find things that I was guilty of or, or that I was bad. And so like, finally, you know, I've kind of unshed that now and I'm very spiritual now, very connected with the universe, but don't prescribe to any organized religion. So what about, you know, your personal story as a kid growing up in religion and how has that ebbed and evolved over the years to result in you becoming a deacon? Yeah, yeah. I, I also was raised very much in the church and a part of the Lutheran church. And there's political stuff with this, but the evangelical Lutheran church in America, which is only about 30 to 40 years old. And, you know, very active, very involved, very much identified with it. And I'm going to say I got very lucky. I came out to my pastor and he was very affirming. He was not condemning, but he also was realistic about how the world works and what the politics of the church are. And so kind of gave me a warning of you're going to have a difficult you know, you're going to have a difficult path or even saying, I don't see our church changing in a place to allow you to become a pastor and, you know, letting me know that, which I think is good. It, it was personally affirming, but also saying, here's what it is. And what's funny is that years and years later, when I was a part of a campaign that did change the policy to allow queer pastors, he was there and hugged me and said, I'm so happy that I was wrong. Right. When I told you this, he remembers having that conversation. And so youth is so formative. It's how we end up living the rest of our lives and having a person be affirming in that kind of in that kind of space when someone's vulnerable and still figuring out how they move in the world is so foundational. And you get that from your church, you get that from your family, right? These people leave lasting impressions, good or bad. And so I think partly because I got lucky, I feel in a very affirmed place. Now, and I moved through that into college, being openly gay, being a part of campus ministry programs. After college, I joined a traveling music ministry team where we would visit churches in a, in a bus 
and do like song programs and pup shows and things like that. And I was supposed to also go to Papua New Guinea and Hong Kong. And I was so used to just being out and my own charming self and win them over with my own charisma because I had worked so well. And it did not work in this situation, right? I finally entered the space of like, no, this is a rejecting environment. And that was the time where I sort of had to rethink like, okay, what caused this pain? What caused this? Was this God's fault? Not really. This was people, right? And because I'd had a good foundation, I didn't even blame necessarily the church. I just thought it's this organization. It's this strand of Christianity. But that experience is ultimately what had me do all this LGBTQ advocacy and faith-based work because we saw, oh, you can't just be your nice, charming self because people cannot get over an aspect of who you are. I want to try and work out how do we help people get over that aspect. And it sounds like potentially your religious spiritual experience is kind of separated from what's literally written in the Bible, potentially. When I was doing the research for the book, I realized that it wasn't until 1946 that the word homosexual even came into the Bible. And yet the Old Testament's like over 3,000 years old. And so it's interesting, you know, analyzing the language from a linguistic perspective, not just, you know, a spiritual perspective, a linguistic perspective of the Bible. And how does that linguistic perspective then match with a spiritual experience? And how do we educate people in a compassionate way on like the six or seven things that people think condemn homosexuality don't condemn homosexuality? And they're actually talking about something completely different. Right. Right. Well, and I think I, I love that you know that research, too. And, you know, there's a film that's going to be called 1946 that someone's working on that is exactly about this moment, right, where someone said, I don't think this is the right word to use here, right? It's not accurate. And it's going to cause harm, right? And then the committee voted and people don't realize, right? The Bible was translated and compiled by committee, right? These are humans that are like, we've got these texts, let's put them together into this book. Yeah. I also, in my life and work... <laughs> I don't spend a ton of time on those six to eight verses. I mean, I know they exist. I know they're out there. What people don't realize is how much queer content is in the Bible and that it's there. And some of that's been translated out. So one of my, my new favorites is Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? We've got a whole musical about it. Dolly Parton sings about it. That word that we insist on calling a coat, this garment that Joseph was given by his father. And Joseph was the youngest of 12. His brother's didn't like him. He was kind of a tattletale. That garment is in Hebrew called a ketanet pasim. And that, that word, that phrase is only used one other place in the Bible. And it's used later when it talks about King David's daughter Tamar wearing this garment. And it says, because that is what the daughters of the king wore. So if you think of this story of Joseph and this garment, and he shows up wearing a princess dress, that changes the story and what kind of reaction the older brothers had to this little tattletale showing up in a really gender non-conforming way and why people can relate, why they might have reacted so violently, you know, and at least pretended to kill him. And then if you fast forward to the end of that story, Joseph goes through a bunch of stuff, ends up being in charge of Egypt and their grain distribution. And his brothers have to come to him to ask for grain, and they don't recognize him. How many, and I have a trans colleague that walks us through this. How many people realize people from your childhood that don't recognize you now that you are grown up, now that you've come into your own, now that you look really different, now maybe that you're using a different name that they're not identifying with? 
and realizing that you can interact with people from your own youth and your own childhood, and they don't know who you are. Now, I can't call Joseph transgender Mm -hmm. just because that word didn't exist then. It's a modern concept. But I think trans people and queer people can relate to that sense of, I was non-conforming. I didn't fall within the hierarchy and I broke those rules and you punished me for it. And now I have this sense right now, look at me, grown up, leading my own life, interacting with my past, but also being so confident in myself. And, And we can do that with David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi, the disciple that Jesus loved. Esther is a great like coming out story in my mind. It's very epic and I love it. Oh, tell us Esther's story then. That sounds okay. great. Like I would love to have another example of like LGBTQ people in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. So Esther's a book all by itself and it talks about a king, a foreign king who's kind of occupying the land. So we start with that. It starts with he throws a party that <laughs> lasts for seven days, entire government drinking solid for seven days straight. <laughs> and the king says orders his wife to come down in her crown and show off for them. It does not say if she was ordered to wear anything else besides just the crown. So there might've been a little bit of like, look at my wife. She refused. Uh She got kicked out. The king wanted a new wife and did this Uh conscripted, forced marriage thing. Esther ends up becoming the new queen. So she's in a position of privilege. She's in a position of relative power, but not relative to the king itself. And someone is convincing the king, an advisor that the Jewish people are a threat to him and his society, and that he should sign this law that all the Jewish people should be executed. And Esther's Jewish, and these are her people, but the king doesn't know she's Jewish. So again, when you've been like the best little boy in the world or the best little girl in the world, and you sort of have this secret of like, if they know, I might lose everything right? And her having to figure out, do I stay in my comfort and just like stay quiet and no one knows and everybody else dies, but I get to live? Do I say something and maybe I can save people, but also I might be the first one he kills along with everyone. Like there's all this like danger in me sharing a part of my identity comes with incredible risk and incredible reward. And again, I'm not calling her gay, But I do think it's a relatable story for those of us that have to weigh the, is it worth it for me to come out in this situation where someone has power and could use that power to harm me? And I also think of like Harvey Milk's quote of like, you've got to come out for the good of everyone else. And so she does. She finds a way. She feeds him dinner like twice, gets him very like fat and happy, you know, and he's like, you want something. What do you want? What do you want? Of course, he thinks she wants something frivolous like clothes or money or whatever. And then she says, I want you to rescind this law that's going to kill my family and friends. And he's like, who would ever do that? Well, your advisor convinced you to sign this law. And the king like, oh my goodness, I had no idea, right? And like rescinds the law, kills the person that convinced him to do this. And so you have this like beautiful coming out story, even though it's not gay, um, but it's so relatable. Language has evolved over time. So there wasn't the language for gay, lesbian, non-binary, trans, but those identities did exist. Yeah. But they just didn't have labels for them. Mm -hmm. So I actually also 
discovered that the earliest porn is on um, cave painting walls out in East Asia. And it's like thousands of years old. And it's bisexual to put a label on it. But it's basically people of different sex assigned at birth and genders. And so I feel like over time, and of course, you know, the Bible being written like this, there wasn't labels put on this gender nonconformity. We weren't in these strict binary boxes. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's fascinating how in modern history, because only in the last century <laughs> has it now been used as an attack against us. So, like, do you teach the Bible or do, or do a deeper dive teaching of the Bible in the charity that you founded, like the Naming Project? Is that part of the camp? Yeah, both the Naming Project and the Yes Jesus podcast, which you pronounce perfect. I probably scale it back a little bit, but oh, good. both of them are like, let's talk about queer Bible stories. Let's talk about where and how we show up. And part of that is because I think like you talked about, we get so led to believe like you're not in there. Queer people are not in scripture, right? It's a sin, so it couldn't be in scripture. And yet when we actually read and look and understand these stories, not the labels that people are using, but the feelings, the emotions, the actions that are happening, how relatable those are, I want the youth at the Naming Project to know that story, right? I want them to feel like there's a character in the Bible that I can relate to and I feel like shares a little bit of experience in the same way that I do. And we do that with the Jazz Jesus podcast. It's hosted by Daniel Francesi and Azariah Southworth. And I swear every time we do a Bible story, at some point, Danny will yell, how come no one's ever told me this before? Because we don't focus on some of these stories and we sort of like go to something else. That's how I feel right now. I'm like, why did I not know this? Like, I focused on educating people on why, you know, something is not LGBTQ, you know, condemning. And instead, I've been, should have been focusing on what is affirming in the Bible. So, yeah. So these stories are on the podcast. I mean, are there other places where people can learn about these stories? And like, is there another like queer video series, TV series on positive affirmations from the Bible of LGBTQ people? Yeah. One of them I think is good besides the podcast. The other one I think does really good work is Matthew Vines and his book, God and the Gay Christian. He comes out a little having to defend against anti-LGBTQ verses. He does try to build a really proactive argument. But I will also say in my in my former job and also a little bit at GLAD too, when I work with religious people, the other case is that any Bible verse can be a pro-LGBTQ Bible verse. Yeah. And one of the exercises that I do is I, you know, I'm standing in front of a a whiteboard or a piece of paper or whatever, and I just ask people to share what are the most meaningful passages of scripture for you, right? And we get these stories, we get the, we get Psalm 139 that says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. We get these parables, we get um, my favorite Romans 8 is that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? We fill it up. And then I tell people, you know the Bible better than you thought you did, right? Like these are people who are like, well, I could never do that. But you know these passages and you also know that they're meaningful and they mean something to you. We can bring meaning and relate to and see ourselves in these scriptures, which means we don't have to spend a lot of time saying Leviticus doesn't mean what you think it does when we can actually say, I see promise for myself in this passage here. I see myself being given grace and love and freedom and eternal life because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I get, you can tell, I get super excited about this. Yeah, it's beautiful. You're like, you're giving me tingles just, you know, listening and watching you talk about it. 
Let's move on to your Lionheart story. So, of course, I consider Lionhearts as people who are showing kindness and courage. I want to uplift kindness and courage in the world. And so, can you tell me about an experience that you've witnessed of somebody exuding kindness and courage from the LGBTQ plus community? I thought about this, and I think I'm trying to come up with a specific example, but the naming project is this LGBTQ church camp with teenagers. And these are young people that know what feeling excluded or feeling bullied is like. And when they come to the camp, they really don't want anyone else to experience that. And so you have these young people from incredibly different parts of the country, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses that are working really, really hard to be there for each other, to listen, to care. I sometimes call them like, you know, wounded healers, right? They know what this hurt feels like. And for at least the week that we're together, they want to make sure that people do not feel that hurt, that exclusion. And so there's a really intentional effort to sort of like be with the kid that looks like they're by themselves, right? Or checking in with someone or Mm. with consent, hugs, lots of hugs, you know, making sure that people can feel the presence of community around them. And I always find that really, really heartening, you know, parents ask me questions about the camp and I talk about me and the adult leaders and whatnot, but really what makes that camp experience what it is, is what young people are bringing into it. And I've seen so much care and concern for anyone else who's hurting physically or emotionally or spiritually. And and I find that so uplifting and so like loving. So that's my Lionheart story. It's it's a collection of people. It's the campers that we have at our naming project camp. Well, how come you named the project the naming project? So this is also good and scriptural. So I'll tell you the real story and then I'll tell you like the thing we say publicly for theological reasons. When we're first kind of developing the program, I wrote up, we were writing up this like description for a grant or something. And we're like, the purpose of, and then we just wrote a blank because we didn't know what we were calling it. Or I think instead of blank, I wrote name. And I wrote that in bold and italics, like come back and fix this later. And so we're like, well, what are we going to call this? And I looked at name. And then, and here's where the theology comes in, LGBTQ youth get called a lot of names. Yeah. And a lot of the names that they are called are derogatory. One of the things that exists in the Christian church, or at least in my strain of the Christian church, is that God knows each one of us by name. God calls each one of us by name. And God also gives alters our name a little bit to call us child of God. So you are Fiona, child of God. That's pronounced at your baptism. You know, and so there's that. And then... Additionally, name changes, this is another relatable experience, name changes are very common in scripture. And people change their name at a moment where their destiny is changing. And you have Saul become Paul, you have Simon become Peter, you have Abram become Abraham, right? That these name changes happen at a moment of you were living, you were living this way, and now you're going in a new direction. And again, That's very relatable. You know, a lot of queer people, trans, non-binary people also change names and pronouns. And today there's pushback for that, right? People want to say like, well, you can't change the name you were given. Scripturally, that's bullshit, (laughs) right? We've got example upon example of people who do have their names changed because it signifies a new future for them. And I think that also holds promise and is relatable and perhaps reveals even more about who they are. Yes, Yes. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Ross. Are there any examples in the Bible where someone has changed pronouns? So pronouns are 
tricky. And I am not an expert in Hebrew. So let me just say this to you, right? Most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, which I did not have to study in seminary. But even in Greek, pronouns are complicated. And one of the things about pronouns in Hebrew is it often is much more implied or embedded into the word. And one of the things that happens when Moses encounters God in the burning bush and Moses is called to, you're going to go to Egypt, you are going to like declare the freedom for the Israelites, and you're going to lead them home. And he says, but if they ask, who am I supposed to say sent me? And asking for God's name. And one of the things that comes up in scripture is God doesn't reveal God's own name. And so you, what you get is, and often our translations are, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. God does not stay within one gender and God does not stay in one tense. That Hebrew is both like present and future at the same time. And it means that we have and we worship a very queer God that isn't going to be confined by male anatomy or he or anything. This is I am which is a promise of, I am just existing out there as part of the whole pulse of the world. And I think that's, that's the most telling thing. And again, it's relatable. There's a video I was a part of, and one of them said, like, God is, God is they, right? God is like, all in all. <laughs> yeah. And I love it, especially when you're saying God is living in the, in the future and the past, therefore God is living in the now, which is the present, which is one of the inspirations for the name of the podcast, Now with Fiona. <laughs> I love it. See, you knew what you were asking me. I like that. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's the thing. I had no idea what you were going to say. That's the beauty of this. Like, I feel like I'm getting a revelation just listening to you. Like, I had a vague idea of what you might say. No idea on the, on the pronoun question. But I think that for me is like the queerest example of the affirmation of LGBTQ plus people in the Bible is the genderlessness of God and of spirit. And that's how I relate to God and spirit. I, you know, God, spirit, universe are the right names for me. You know, I am now in a practice of meditating practically every day. And I have had these incredible experiences of of feeling spirit, of feeling God, of feeling my own spirituality and our own connectedness where we are God. We are all one spirit. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. That's what I feel. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to grow our humanness. <laughs> yeah. There, there's also, I think the other one that's really fascinating. I've preached on this before. So Proverbs talks about wisdom and wisdom is a woman. And, and so, and this is what's not implied. Is wisdom part of God? Is wisdom a separate being in the heavens? It's not that clear being together, but it's also like wisdom is setting a banquet and calling people off the roadside to come eat and drink wine. And it's invitational and I'm putting this banquet together. And that's another like invitational aspect of God that you get of this, like, you know, this sense of wisdom being part of what makes us have be these spiritual beings and then live through the mundane of, you know, yeah. 401ks and taxes and all that stuff. You have me a banquet, food and wine. I'm in. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh yeah. That's the best part. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so tell me about where people can find out about the naming project. And I'm really curious to know whether you have to live in Minnesota to participate or is it a national project or like, how can youth find you and get involved? 
Yeah, so we are on the web at thenamingproject.org, and we are on social media, The Naming Project for TikTok and Instagram. Twitter is Naming Project, and then we've got Facebook as well. And then we run a camp one week in the summer. People fly in from all over the country. So far, they've only come from the United States, but we are open if someone can come from somewhere else. And, you know, it's a it's a relatively small camp. It's a fairly self-selected group. Like, it's 13 to 18 years old usually have between 15 and 20 youth and about five or six adults. So a good like youth adult ratio, letting us do small groups, letting people be in conversation with others. And it also makes it really like relatable to do it that way instead of being very like program driven. So if people want to get involved and get connected, you'll see we just ended our camp a few weeks ago. So I'm now in the process of getting ourselves booked and lined up and everything for 2023. So you'll see some things change on the website in the coming weeks and months. But that is my fall work is now. Thank you. Now we're shutting that down and now we're going to the next one too. Do you have youth of all different faiths? So we run it as a Christian camp, but I will say the young people come to us. Some are very, you know, part of a denomination. Some have a very non-specific sense of spirituality. We've had a Jewish camper come once. I think they came because they came with their friend. And, you know, I did a little check-in, like, we can get a little Jesus-y. And they're like, it's fine. We've had some combo pagan Christians be a part of it too. And part of what we say is, you know, we're just going to run this. We're going to we're going to use inclusive language. We're going to do some spiritual practices. It's not us that are making them any of these kids like Christian. It is really them being able to have that experience and to be in a good place for themselves because they have to know what their spiritual faith grounding is. Well, Ross, thank you so much for all of this incredible work that you do and also at Glad as well. Thank you so much. Any parting thoughts or opinions or anything else you want to say as before we end the podcast? You started with this kind of cheeky question, right? Why can't I love the love the sinner but hate the sin? There's a lot happening in the world right now. And we have been created and freed and have the freedom to do good in this world. We don't do it so that we can be loved. We do it because the world needs it. And I think right now I see such incredible need and I'm hoping people identify the way or the ways in which they can help to meet that need in the world. And that, that's what's motivating me so much right now. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for educating all of us, including my dad, who is the primary audience person, I think, for this for this podcast. But thank you for talking to all my lovely listeners and love and appreciate you, Ross, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources, and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always and let your lion heart roar. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.